0: The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi, folks. This is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast, all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out Anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out Anchor.fm.
1: Come with me. Or listening to
0: the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to explore the belief systems of the various secret society groups, the things that they uh, believe and uh, the information and knowledge that they've passed down through the generations from the mystery schools of old And some of these things that they've kept from the public at large or have uh, indoctrinated the public into thinking is total and pure and utter nonsense. Uh, Many of these things are what they would refer to as the quote-unquote secrets of the ages. And they are not meant for the profane. And that's you and I, ladies and gentlemen, the profane. Uh, That's their viewpoint and that's how they believe. They believe that if you're not a member of one of their secret society groups and you don't pursue... Um, the various teachings and different pursuits and avenues within these different secret schools and understand some of these occult philosophies and some of these occult principles and act upon them appropriately. They, they believe you don't even have a soul when it comes down to it, uh, to be blunt about it. They, they equate us as to being little more than herd animals, uh, to be maneuvered around as they see fit. That's why they call us human resources. Understand But anyway, not to, uh, you know, dwell too long upon that point tonight, we're going to look at what it is that they believe about consciousness and our reality. What it is, where we exist, things that they know that we do not, things that they know or teach or believe about other worlds that coexist right alongside of ours, within ours, in fact that they understand there's certain processes that go on within these other worlds that affect this world. And uh, I had to uh, dig deep to find this book, ladies and gentlemen. This is a, uh, a classic. Uh, you won't find it too much around anywhere in you know uh, any of your local bookstores or anything of that sort. Uh, it's an old book. And it's, it was probably a very dusty book in the back of some obscure library somewhere. Uh, gen- probably a Masonic library, if I had to guess. And this book is called The Astral Plane. It's scenery, inhabitants, and phenomena by one Mr. C.W. Leadbeater. And if you're familiar at all with uh, Mr. Leadbeater, you you know what he's all about. Um, you know that he's... He was a member, in good standing, of not only the Theosophical Society, but he was also a highly degreed mason, or honorary mason. Uh, He was uh, a member of various fraternal orders and secret society groups, and he was a preeminent occultist of the 19th century. So uh, uh, he he was uh, a well-learned individual, for sure, especially in regards to many of these occult teachings. So that being the case, he's got a a sort of air of authority about him within these various groups. So uh, this book is actually a fourth edition printing, and it was printed in 1905 by the Theosophical Publishing Society. And uh, this one was out of New York, I believe. Yeah, New York. The Theosophical Book Concern, New York. John Lane. So... Anyway, we're going to get into the reading here, and I'll take some pauses here and there uh, to try and expound a little bit on different ideas. But you'll see how much of what we're taught in the modern age is very much the opposite of some of these things uh, that we're taught within the secret schools. That many of these preeminent occultists and uh, people of that nature, the social controllers, the social engineers of this society... Uh, it's quite different than what they are taught within the, the confines of these secret schools or secret fraternal orders. Okay, so we're going to uh, read in here. I don't know how far we'll, we'll go into this, probably just the introduction and maybe a portion of the first chapter here. But it's an interesting read and it gives you some perspective onto what it is that these people believe about these certain things. So, you know, once you understand what they believe about, first of all, consciousness, what it is, uh, how it is that uh, it functions, where we exist, and uh, these different worlds, so to say, that are, uh, you know, part and parcel of consciousness and are affected by it and affect it, it themselves, then we can see that there are some uh, various causal factors that can be manipulated here by people who know how to do so right and that could affect us here in our world without us being keenly aware of what's going on or how it works or why it's the way that it is uh, so some of the explanations and stuff they give here are very intriguing uh, i encourage everybody always take this stuff with a grain of salt uh, the important uh, you know facet of all this that I like to tell people is even if you think this stuff is is total and utter nonsense Bear in mind, there are people in positions of power in this world that very much firmly believe this stuff and act upon it. And the things they do to act upon this information will affect all of us. So we need to understand what it is they believe, why they believe it, and why they do the things that they do. Uh, and that's why I like to look at these topics and you know these different older books like this. So this one was 1905. It's called The Astral Plane, C.W. Leadbeater. Let's get right into it. Introduction. Though for the most part, entirely unconscious of it, man passes the whole of his life in the midst of a vast and populous unseen world. During sleep or in a trance, when the insistent physical senses are for the time in abeyance, this other world is to some extent open to him, and he will sometimes bring back from those conditions more or less vague memories of what he has seen and heard there. When, at the change when men call death, he lays aside his physical body altogether, it is into this unseen world that he passes, and in it he lives through the long centuries that intervene between his incarnations into this existence that we know. By far the greater part of these long periods is spent in the heaven world, to which the sixth of these manuals is devoted, but what we have now to consider is the lower part of this unseen world, the state into which man enters immediately after death, the Hades or underworld of the Greeks, the purgatory or intermediate state of Christianity, which was called by medieval alchemists the astral plane. The object of this manual is to collect and arrange the information with regard to this interesting region which is scattered through theosophical literature and also to supplement it slightly in cases where new facts have come to our knowledge. It must be understood that any such additions are only the result of the investigations of a few explorers and must not therefore be taken as in any way authoritative but are given simply for what they are worth. On the other hand, every precaution in our power has been taken to ensure accuracy, no fact, old or new, being admitted to this manual unless it has been confirmed by the testimony of at least two independent trained investigators among ourselves, and has also been passed as correct by older students whose knowledge on these points is necessarily much greater than ours. It is hoped, therefore, that this account of the astral plane, though it cannot be considered as quite complete, may yet be found reliable as far as it goes. The first point which is, which it is necessary to make clear in describing this astral plane is its absolute reality. Of course, in using that word, I am not speaking from that metaphysical standpoint from which all but the one unmanifested is unreal because impermanent, I am using the word in its plain everyday sense, and I mean by it that the objects and inhabitants of the astral plane are real, in exactly the same way as our bodies, our furniture, our houses, or monuments are real, as real as Charing Cross. To quote an expressive remark from one of the earliest theosophical works, they will no more endure forever forever. Then will objects on the physical plane, but they are nevertheless realities from our point of view. While they last, realities which we cannot afford to ignore, merely because the majority of mankind is as yet unconscious or but vaguely conscious of their existence. And I'm going to pause there, folks. There's a lot of uh, information there to consider in this first part we just read here, these first couple paragraphs. Uh, First of all, this is the fifth volume of a set of training manuals. Um, for the various Theosophical Society students, okay? This is number five, and he's talking about talking about the heaven world in volume six. Uh, so volumes one through four, I'm not sure what all was discussed in those, but these were manuals that were only accessible by inductees into the Theosophical Society, those initiates who were found worthy to be taught these various teachings, right? So this is what they believe. They believe... That all around us these other worlds exist and they commingle with the world we live in. And that uh, sometimes, just sometimes, somebody can catch a glimpse into these worlds. And they also believe, uh, in regards to the astral plane here, as he's talking about, that uh, when we actually go to sleep at night and we go into a dream state, sometimes we catch a glimpse of this astral world in the, the form of dreams okay, that, uh, sometimes our astral bodies, so to say, leave our physical bodies and go exploring. Is he correct? Who knows? Uh, that's what these people believe. And like I said, uh, I always recommend take a lot of this stuff with a grain of salt. Uh, I, I, do think there are some inherent truths in many of the things that they teach in a lot of these secret societies and stuff like that with, uh, a lot of the older occultic type teachings, but, uh, there's also a lot of poison in there with it as well so you just got to be careful and use your discernment to the best of your ability but the important thing as i stressed earlier and i'll stress again is even if you think this is all nonsense bear in mind there are people in positions of power in this world that firmly wholeheartedly believe in this stuff and will act upon it and what they do will affect us all so uh, that being the case you know he's expressing here the view that this astral plane is a reality, very similar to our own. Another finite reality like this one. He's not referring to, you know, the great infinite beyond here, but it's a less dense state of uh, than this physical world we live in, this material world. And those are the kinds of terms they use to describe this stuff. Uh, sometimes you got to think outside the box to understand what they're talking about. Forget all your preconceived notions of what it is you think you know about uh, science and the world around us and think in a more philosophical, open-minded type state uh, when you're, you are you know, looking at this kind of information or hearing about it. Uh, so they, they sometimes, sometimes they, they miss the mark in their descriptive process of all of this, but uh, other times they're spot on. And I think you could catch the ideas, um, you know, when you listen to this stuff. So Let's continue on here. No one can get a clear conception of the teachings of the wisdom religion until he has, at any rate, an intellectual grasp of the fact that in our solar system there exist perfectly definite planes, each with its own matter of different degrees of density, and that some of these planes can be visited and observed by persons who have qualified themselves for the work, exactly as a foreign country might be visited and observed, and that, by comparison of the observations of the Those who are constantly working on these planes, evidence can be obtained of their existence and nature at least as satisfactory as that which most of us have for the existence of Greenland or Spitzenberg. Furthermore... Just as any man who has the means and chooses to take the trouble can go and see Greenland and Spitzenberg for himself, so any man who chooses to take the trouble to qualify himself by living the necessary life can in time come to see these higher planes on his own account. And I'm going to pause there again. Once again, uh, he's equating these planes beyond our uh, physical sight here and our physical perception he's uh, making the comparison as the same as places in the real world which you know we may not have seen but we accept on faith that they exist it's the same kind of thing right that that's what he's claiming here uh, he's claiming that uh, you know these certain adepts when they reach high enough uh, potential uh, within these these teachings of these secret society groups they could learn these different skills and be able to peer into these other worlds and see things there uh, that your average person, your your regular person, can't see. see. Um, so, you know, once again, there's always this claim of the mystic along with all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, is it possible? Well, maybe it is possible, right? Um, I think there's definitely more to this world than what we see here in the material. But, uh, you know, are they giving a truly accurate description here? Uh, Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But I think it's important to ponder on these ideas because this relates back to the idea of what is consciousness. And we'll explore a little bit further here and see what uh, Mr. Leadbeater here has to say about all of that. So let's go ahead and read on. The names usually given to these planes, taking them in order of materiality, rising from the denser to the finer, are the physical, the astral, the mental or divakanic, the buddhic, and the nirvanic. So I'm going to pause for a second there, folks, and I'll read those to you again. All right, and we'll say, and he's claiming that these go from the denser to the finer. So they're talking about dense material and fine material, and this is kind of a philosophical thought, um, whereas uh, they'll sometimes compare it to like the states of matter that we're aware of here. Uh, so, like something denser, that would be like solid. Uh, something slightly less dense, but still partially dense, would be liquid. And then something that's not very dense would be gaseous. That kind of thing. So, they kind of compare these in, you know, in many ways to the states of matter. But it's a philosophical state, see, uh, because all the matter that exists here is all dense matter. So, you know, the next step uh up finer from this would be like say the astral plane so everything is just finer enough it's just less dense that we can't perceive it here but it exists there and that's kind of how they try to describe this so they describe here five planes okay and depending on some of these teachings they teach there's as many planes as seven different planes or nine different planes or even some beyond that uh depending upon uh what teachings and stuff you get into but uh for the, the basic premise here of the theosophists, most of what they teach is based on these five different planes, okay? Uh, this is the physical plane, which is the world that we live in, the material plane, right? Then he lists as number two, the astral plane, which is the world he's primarily talking about here. And then beyond that is what they call the mental plane or the devachanic plane, right? Uh, devachanic and mental uh, same plane just two different names for it just remember the mental plane it's easier to think of in those terms and then the buddhic plane would be the fourth one and the nirvanic plane okay and these are higher uh level orders from where we're at okay so uh, this is very very fine spiritual matter or, or so to say is what they to describe there so Let's continue on and read what he has to say about these. So we left off where he named off these five different planes of existence, okay? So he says, higher than this last are two others. See, I'm going to pause there. So he's saying beyond the nirvanic plane, there's two others, which, you know, is seven planes. Uh, But... You know, let's let's continue on, so he could explain it in his own words here. So higher than this last are two others, but they are so far above our present power of conception that for the moment they may be left out of consideration. And I'm gonna pause there. Well, well, how would you know? <laughs> like if they're beyond our pa- our present power of conception, how do you know there's two more? <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, like some of these things that they teach in these. Uh, different uh, occult orders and stuff like that it's it's all a lot of it. it 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 lacks logic and reason okay and a lot of times they contradict themselves in their statements just like here so he's telling you there's two other planes beyond the nirvanic here but uh, uh because of our present power we can't even conceive of them uh but somehow we know they exist right <laughs> If you can't conceive of it, you wouldn't be able to describe it or know that it exists. So how can you explain it as being two more levels of reality here that, that you just can't understand? A- anyway, it flies in the face of, of you know common sense, but uh, sometimes you have to put aside your suspension of disbelief here and and just take their word for it on some of these things. <laughs> but let's read on. It should be understood that the matter of each of these planes differs from that of the one below it in the same way as... Though to a much greater degree, then, vapor differs from solid matter. In fact, the states of matter, which we call solid, liquid, and gaseous, are merely the three lowest subdivisions of the matter belonging to this one physical plane. The astral region, which I am to attempt to describe, is the second of these great planes of nature, the next above or within that physical world, with which we are all familiar. I'm going to pause there for a second i'm going to read that again the next above or within it says in parentheses that physical world with which we are all familiar so this is an important thought here folks okay uh, that this astral plane exists within the physical plane see uh and and what you could equate this to is we, we live in a three-dimensional reality right a 3d reality so there's, you know, one-dimensional, two-dimensional, three-dimensional. The physical plane would be the three-dimensional. Okay, the astral plane would be considered the two-dimensional, which exists within the three-dimensional. And the mental plane would be the one-dimensional, which exists inside the astral and the physical plane, or the, the two- and three-dimensional. So see how they all kind of layer on top of each other? That's the kind of distinction uh, that the uh, theosophists try to make here with this thing. So it's we live in the most dense state. Right, but uh, these uh, less dense places like the astral plane and the mental plane exist within the confines of the physical. They overlap, right? That's what they say. They overlap in many ways, and they coexist all simultaneously here. But we just don't perceive the other two because of you know this state of denseness that we live in, and that's that's the best descriptive term. That I think uh, you know, many of these occultists and theosophists could come up with to describe these things. But let's read on. Let's—I don't want to put words in the guy's mouth because you know he'll—he'll tell you what he thinks here on the page. Uh, So let's read on. It has often been called the realm of illusion. Not that it is itself any more illusory than the physical world, but because of the extreme unreliability of the impressions brought back from it by the untrained seer. This is to be accounted for mainly by two remarkable characteristics of the astral world. First, that many of its inhabitants have a marvelous power of changing their forms with protean rapidity and also of casting practically unlimited glamour over those with whom they choose to sport. And secondly, that sight on that plane is a faculty very different from and much more extended than physical vision. An object is seen, as it were, from all sides at once. The inside of a solid being is plainly open to the view as the outside. It is therefore obvious that an inexperienced visitor to this new world may well find considerable difficulty in understanding what he really does see, and still more in translating his vision into the very inadequate language of ordinary speech. Okay, and I'm going to pause there, folks. And uh, some of what he's describing here, it sounds like what people report after they take DMT, doesn't it? Uh, Or something along those lines. Uh, So, is it really a connection to a different plane? Maybe it is, or, you know, maybe it's just a, um, you know... Uh, a a psychotic hallucination or something. I I, I don't know, because a lot of times in many of the rituals and stuff these people do, they use psychotropic drugs uh, to try to bring about these altered states of consciousness. So, um, you know, like I said, take a lot of this stuff with a grain of salt, but at the same token, he could be describing a very real thing here, as he claims to be. But uh, our understanding of it is skewed or limited. And, uh, you know, perhaps... Um, a little more exploration into these ideas is a good thing. Let's read on. (coughs) Excuse me. A good example of the sort of mistake that is likely to occur is the frequent reversal of any number which the seer has to read from the astral light so that he would be liable to render, say, 139 as 931 and so on. In the case of a student of occultism trained by a capable master, such a mistake would be impossible except through great hurry or carelessness, since such a pupil has to go through a long and varied course of instruction in this art of seeing correctly. The master, or perhaps some more advanced pupil, bringing before him again and again all possible forms of illusion and asking him, what do you see? Any errors in his answers are then corrected and their reasons explained until, by degrees, the neophyte acquires a certainty and confidence in dealing with the phenomena of the astral plane which far exceeds anything possible in physical life. And I'm going to pause there again this is all more of the same usual um, patting themselves on the back a bit and oh we're so good we're, we we're so powerful we're so great the great masters and and the teachers they could teach these people how to do this but uh, it's only if you're really really very adept uh, at these skills and you you live the lifestyle just perfectly and and you know you you're just absolutely perfect that you'll learn any of these skills see um, and it, a lot of it's a deception, folks. It really is. It's all dangling that carrot in front of people. Oh, you want to have these mystical powers? Listen to me do the training that I tell you. This kind of thing. Now, is there maybe some kind of a real something to it? It's possible. Uh, but by and large, um, you know, most people you run into would not claim to have these kind of gifts. And, uh, you know, the ones that do oftentimes are found to be charlatans, right? So, you know, it's not to say that this isn't possible, that, you know, these kind of things don't exist or that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, you you do have to beware (laughs) of the uh, nature of these people and what they're telling you. I mean, within all these different secret society groups, they're known for lying to their lower-level members, right? The Freemasons are, are infamous for this. They, they make the, uh, the, the lower-level students believe that they understand the symbology and what this means and that, but they're lying to them. And this goes on up until the 30th degree of Freemasonry in the Scottish Rite. Uh, they, they don't have a clear understanding of what it is they're looking at. And much the same with this, and probably even more so when you get into some of these occult orders of these secret societies that teach you these magical or occult principles and practices and rituals and things of that nature. So, you know, the things they're teaching you are kind of dubious at best, but, uh, you know, there might be some truths underlying some of these these points that are, are made here. So it's important to look at this. Let's read on. But he has to learn not only to see correctly, but to translate the memory of what he has seen accurately from one plane to the other. And to assist him in this, he is trained to carry his consciousness without a break, from the physical plane to the astral or devicanic and back again. I'm going to pause there. Devicanic means mental plane, folks or Devicanic and back again. For until that can be done, there is always a possibility that his recollections may be partially lost or distorted during the blank interval, which separates his periods of consciousness on the various planes. When the power of bringing over the consciousness is perfectly acquired, the pupil will have the advantage of the use of all the astral faculties, not only while out of his body during sleep or trance, but also while fully awake in ordinary physical life. And I'm going to pause there, folks. There are some people that claim to have this sight, to be able to see spirits and things like that. It's not beyond the realm of possibility. Um, I don't know if they're telling the truth within, you know, this theosophical society as to whether they could really teach people the, you know, the art of how to do these things and see these things or not. Um, you know, I, I find it, you know, very questionable at best, uh, because, (laughs) you know, there, there would be a lot of call for something like this if people really, um, were able to pull off something like this if you could see something and and perceive information that other people can't well that's an important thing and well that might actually you know hold up an argument for why it might be true because a lot of these people in the secret society groups there's a reason they keep a lot of these things secret it's for the the sake of maintaining power or control right Uh, so this would give them power and control over people having more information to work from So, you know, we could see, uh, you know, there might be some inherent truths to these ideas. Now, I I fully expect that this is a misdescription of how it really works or what it really is. But I I do think there's a basic principle behind it that is uh, something that might be viable here. Uh, So that being the case, it's it's always good to explore these avenues of thought and see what it is these people believe. uh, Because... When it comes down to it, uh, I acknowledge there are other spiritual realms of existence around us, right? So that being the case, could this be an accurate description of it? Maybe. I don't think it's an accurate description of it, but it's probably a description that uh, these people find useful for whatever reason. Uh, They can manipulate things in this way with this. Uh, It's kind of like the whole metadata concept, folks. If you look at it from a techie perspective, from a technological perspective... They could infer and know different things just by collecting metadata from people. This is the same kind of thing, all right? Except this is collecting metadata from the natural world or the, you know, the crossover between these natural realms of consciousness, see? So, you know, that kind of thing is, is definitely feasible. Anyway, let's, let's read on. It has been the custom of some theosophists to speak with scorn of the astral plane, and treated it as entirely unworthy of attention, but that seems to me a mistaken view. Most assuredly, that at which we have to aim is the life of the spirit, and it would be most disastrous for any student to neglect that higher development and rest satisfied with the attainment of astral consciousness. There have been some whose karma was such as to enable them to develop the higher mental faculties, first of all, to overleap The astral plane for the time, as it were, but this is not the ordinary method adopted by the masters of wisdom with their pupils. Where it is possible, it no doubt saves trouble, but for the most of us... Such progress by leaps and bounds has been forbidden by our own faults or follies in the past. All that we can hope for is to win our way slowly, step by step. And since this astral plane lies next to our world of denser matter, it is usually in connection with it that our earliest superphysical experiences take place. It is therefore of deep interest to those of us who are but beginners in these studies, and a clear comprehension of its mysteries may often be of the greatest importance to us, by enabling us not only to understand many of the phenomena of the séance room, of haunted houses, etc., which would otherwise be inexplicable, but also to guard ourselves and others from possible dangers." The first introduction to this remarkable region comes to people in uh, various ways. Some, only once in their whole lives, under some unusual influence, become sensitive enough to recognize the presence of one of its inhabitants, and perhaps because the experience does not repeat itself, they may come in time to believe that on that occasion they must have been the victims of hallucination. Others find themselves with increasing frequency seeing and hearing something to which those around them are blind and deaf. Others again, and perhaps this is the commonest experience of all, begin to recollect with greater and greater clearness that which they have seen or heard on that other plane during sleep. Among those who make a study of these subjects, some try to develop the astral sight by crystal gazing or other methods, while those who have the inestimable advantage of the direct guidance of a qualified teacher will probably be placed upon that plane for the first time under his special protection, which will be continued until, by the application of various tests, he has satisfied himself that each pupil is proof against any danger or terror that he is likely to encounter." But however it may occur, the first actual realization that we are all the while in the mists of a great world full of active life, of which most of us are nevertheless entirely unconscious, cannot be a memorable epoch in a man's existence. So abundant and so manifold in this life of the astral plane, that at first it is absolutely bewildering to the neophyte, and even for the more practiced investigator, it is no easy task to attempt to classify and to catalog it, if the explorer of some unknown tropical forest were asked not only to give a full account of the country through which he has passed, with accurate details of its vegetable and mineral productions, but also to state the genus and species of every one of the myriad insects, birds, beasts, and reptiles which had been seen he might well shrink appalled at the magnitude of the undertaking. Yet even this affords no parallel to the embarrassments of the psychic investigator, for in his case matters are further complicated, first by the difficulty of correctly translating from that plane to this the recollection of what he has seen, and secondly by the utter inadequacy of ordinary language to express much of what he has to report. However, just as the explorer on the physical plane would probably commence his account of a country by some sort of general description of its scenery and characteristics, so it will be well to begin this slight sketch of the astral plane by endeavoring to give some idea of the scenery which forms the background of its marvelous and ever-changing activities. Yet here at the outset, an almost insuperable difficulty confronts us in the extreme complexity of the matter. All who see fully on that plane agree that to attempt to call up a vivid picture of this astral scenery before those whose eyes are as yet unopened is like speaking to a blind man of the exquisite variety of tints in a sunset sky. However detailed and elaborate the description may be, there is no certainty that the idea presented before the hearer's mind will be an adequate representation of the truth. And that's the end of the introduction part there, folks. And there's a lot of interesting ideas borne out in that. And I think some of it could stand to scrutiny. I think there are some truths inherent in there. But uh, once again, you have to question, uh, you know, the source here. Okay. Um, the secret society groups are are, are known for putting out there information that uh, is not necessarily completely accurate. They put a lot of truth in there, and sometimes they wrap everything in metaphors and uh, different descriptive uh, types of ways like that. Symbolism, that kind of thing. Now, even though this book is written in a pretty cut-and-dry kind of way, um, we're largely having to take the words of these select few people who claim that they have the ability to see into this realm right well none of this stuff's really verifiable in any way shape or form is it but uh, I would say let your experience speak to that and let your discernment speak to that Uh, I think there's definitely something to these ideas and I find it interesting that that, uh, you know they they have taken the time to write so Uh, much about these different things, and this is what they teach within their secret orders, okay? That these different planes of existence, that they do exist and overlap here, and that uh, things that happen on those planes could affect the other planes, all right? And a lot of this ties back to old Hermetic philosophy, once again, uh, the, the Hermetic principle of mentalism, or the principle of mind, where mind precedes all things. Well, that's what they're talking about with the mental plane. See, remember how I equated it to, uh, uh, if we're looking at the three-dimensional, the the mental plane would be the one-dimensional, right? And the astral would be the second-dimensional, and then the physical plane that we live in here would be the third-dimensional plane. uh, That kind of thing. So you could see how these different concepts reach across these different things and how something that happens on the mental plane could eventually manifest here, in the material plane as it transitions through those stages when you think of it in terms of numbers it makes it a little easier to understand one two three okay it starts at one and then uh, proceeds through two and three into manifestation here in the physical Uh, so a lot of these ideas do have some merit it's just a matter of uh, are we really getting an accurate description of how this all works and that's just a matter of faith and belief when it comes down to it and you know I I won't tell anybody what they should believe or not believe uh, but I I do tell you be cautious with uh, these different writings from these different occult orders because a lot of times uh, they, they put a lot of deception in there because they don't want people to understand it and largely they teach what they call the true secrets Through an unbroken lineage of oral tradition from teacher to student down the line. They don't write down the big secrets, right? They'll just put things down that may be symbolic or wrapped in metaphor. Or, you know, maybe are totally untrue just to throw people off the trail. But the real secrets don't get told in this way. They don't get written down in book form like this. But they use it as a guide for the teacher to give the real secrets to the student. So... Don't think we're getting a full view of actually how this place works or anything just from readings like this. But uh, it could give us a better understanding of how things might work. Or, you know, a better understanding of of the things that they believe or the the methods they use for whatever reason. Uh, And these could be good descriptors for how things may work. Right? I don't think it's a totally 100% accurate view, but... At the same time, it's nobody has a 100% accurate view of things, but uh, these people have a better understanding of how the natural world operates around us, of these different uh, archetypal energies that exist around us that could be manipulated. So that's, that's kind of what uh, a work like this would speak to. But let's move on here. I want to get through a little bit more of this before we call it a night here. Scenery. Next section is labeled Scenery. First of all, then, it must be understood that the astral plane has seven subdivisions, each of which has its corresponding degree of materiality and its corresponding condition of matter. Although the poverty of physical language forces us to speak of these subplanes as higher and lower, we must not fall into the mistake of thinking of them, or indeed of the greater planes, of which they are only subdivisions, as separate localities in space, as lying above one another like the shelves of a bookcase, or outside one another like the coats of an onion. It must be understood that the matter of each plane or subplane interpenetrates that of the plane or subplane below it so that here at the surface of the earth all exist together in the same space, although it is true that the higher varieties of matter extend further away from the physical earth than the lower. So when we speak of a man as rising from one plane or subplane to another, we do not think of him as necessarily moving in space at all, but rather as transferring his consciousness from one level to another, gradually becoming unresponsive to the vibrations of one order of matter, and beginning instead to answer to those of a higher and more refined order, so that one world, with its scenery and inhabitants, would seem to fade slowly away from his view, while another world, of a more, elevated character would dawn upon him in its stead and i'm going to pause there nikola tesla said to better understand this world you need to think of it in terms of frequency and vibration and that's exactly what's being talked about here you hear so much in all the hippy dippy new agey uh, nonsense stuff out there about vibration 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 well it does have an air of truth to it it's all about vibratory rates and frequency See, we could, we could only perceive in certain frequency bands, and many of these things stretch outside of those frequency bands, and uh, some of them aren't even really objectively measurable by what we would call science, uh, because some of these things don't really manifest in a material way here, right? So these would be more subjective-type ideas, things that can't necessarily be uh, quantified or measured in that that way. But think of it in those terms, because it's always about frequency, vibration, and that kind of thing. In fact, uh, this world was brought about through frequency and vibration uh, because uh, God said, let there be light, right? And that was, you know, the, the, the formation of the physical world, the material world. Uh, it says in, you know, that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And, you know, th- this word became manifest and spoken. Uh, it's all about the spoken word. And a lot of this falls back on Kabbalistic ideas and stuff, too. Kabbalah, um, the spoken word, the phonetic Kabbalah, which is different than what uh, most people would think of Kabbalah, right? Uh, it's, it's, uh, there's different traditions, and there's different spellings of the word Kabbalah for different reasons. Uh, so the Kabbalah, in this sense, would be spelled with a C, Kabbalah. Uh, and there's there's different different reasons for that, and that would refer directly to what's called phonetic Kabbalah, or you know, what has come down through the ages in the secret societies to be called the Green Language, or otherwise commonly known as Twilight Language, or the Language of the Birds. Uh, these different kinds of ideas. It's it's symbolic language that uh, crosses the boundaries between different languages and uh, conveys different ideas it's it's highly symbolic it conveys different ideas that are much different than what the the actual uh current meaning of the word is okay it's it's an infer in inference an inferred sort of meaning in there and and this is a lot of times how you know some of these highly adept quote-unquote masters in the secret schools Operate. They, they use these different things as ways to communicate and for different reasons uh, to uh, try to uh, utilize different archetypes and stuff in different ways to manipulate people because everybody's unconscious mind will recognize some of these symbols. And, you know, that's what we call an archetype, right? Your, your mind recognizes something. You don't recognize it on a conscious level, but uh, you recognize it on an unconscious level and then react subconsciously to it. Uh, that's that's why symbols are so powerful. Uh, we recognize them. It's it's an ingrained memory. In science, they call this epigenetic memory. Uh, you know, in, in different occult uh, teachings, they call it the akashic record. Uh, you know, they they call it ancestral memories, things like that. Uh, in some native tribes and stuff like that. So, like all these things have been recorded through time and are an understood thing, but. Uh, these these different ways that they, they utilize this um, this has to do directly with uh, what I would think is what they're describing here as this mental plane which uh, you know undergirds this uh, astral plane that they're talking about in this book uh, but anyway I, I don't want to get hung up on a side tangent there let's uh, get through the rest of the reading here so uh, what he says here uh, where we left off is he's talking about sometimes a uh, when you start to, your mind starts to change this frequency, it could perceive the new, this other world, well, the, the, the current physical world would like kind of fade out in your vision, and then you would start to see this other world, right? So it, it's all about frequency, vibratory rate, that kind of thing, uh, what frequency bands you could detect. Uh, so that's a good way to think about it. it it's kind of an allegory in, in a sense, uh, but it, it stands true. Let's read on. Numbering these subdivisions from the highest and least material downwards, we find that they naturally fall into three classes, divisions 1, 2, and 3, forming one such class, and 4, 5, and 6 another, while the seventh and the lowest of all stands alone. The difference between the matter of one of these classes and the next would be commensurable with that between a solid and a liquid. Well, the difference between the matter of the subdivisions of a class would rather resemble that between two kinds of solid, such as, say, steel and sand, putting aside for the moment the seventh, we may say that divisions four, five, and six of the astral plane have for their background the physical world in which we live and all its familiar accessories life on the sixth division is simply like our ordinary life on this earth minus the physical body and its necessities well as it ascends through the fifth and fourth divisions it becomes less and less material and is more and more withdrawn from our lower world and its interests. so i'm going to pause there folks so what he's describing here is the fourth fifth and sixth level of the astral plane which uh, when you leave this physical world is what he claims here that's where you would exist and it's very much you could see uh the accoutrements of our our physical material world here are pretty much what the 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 world there looks like it's just without your physical form right instead you would have this astral body traveling around in it and it would be very similar but as you move uh down the scale so to say through the different worlds or up the scale depending upon how you want to look at it uh, you become less and less dense and therefore it becomes less and less like what we're used to here in the physical. That's what he's claiming. Anyway, let's let's read on. Because I do find this stuff very interesting. Um, you know, whether or not you could take it as fact or not, that's another story. But uh, I find these ideas intriguing. So uh, it's always fun to think about. So let's read on. The scenery of these lower divisions, then, is that of the earth as we know it, but in reality it is also very much more, for when looked at from this different standpoint, with the assistance of the astral senses, even purely physical objects present a very different appearance. As has already been mentioned, they are seen by one whose eyes are fully opened, not as usual from one point of view, but from all sides at once. An idea in itself sufficiently confusing, and when we add to this that every particle in the interior of a solid body is as fully and clearly visible as those on the outside, it will be comprehended that under... Such conditions, even the most familiar objects, may at first be totally unrecognizable. Yet a moment's consideration will show that such vision approximates much more closely to true perception than does physical sight. Looked at on the astral plane, for example, the sides of a glass cube would all appear equal, as they really are, Well, on the physical plane, we see the further side in perspective, that is, it appears smaller than the nearer side, which is, of course, a mere illusion. It is this characteristic of astral vision which has led to its sometimes being spoken of as sight in the fourth dimension, a very suggestive and expressive phrase. But in addition to these possible sources of error... Matters are further complicated by the fact that this higher sight cognizes forms of matter which, while still purely physical, are nevertheless invisible under ordinary conditions. Such, for example, are the particles composing the atmosphere, all the various emanations which are always being given out by everything that has life, and also four grades of a still finer order of physical matter which, for want of more distinctive names, must all be described as etheric. The latter form a kind of system by themselves, freely interpenetrating all other physical matter, and the investigation of their vibrations and the manner in which various higher forces affect them would in itself constitute a vast field of deeply interesting study for any man of science who possessed the requisite sight for its examination. And I'm going to pause there. So he's describing what's called here etheric, or the concept of ether, okay? Ether, which would be a substrate which underlies all of our physical reality, through which all things have their, their motion, right? Uh, that, that's the idea of uh, ether, and there was actually a whole basis of physics based upon this, ether physics, uh, which were, was extremely popular and well accepted in the late 1800s and the turn of the, the 20th century. Uh, which has, since Einstein's work came about, has been wholly discarded and forgotten about, except for within the confines of the special access programs of the military-industrial complex, uh, on which they base many different technologies in field propulsion and, and different things like that. Uh, but that that's a story for another day. So uh, I think that this notion supports the idea of what we would call ether. And he describes it as etheric, as being kind of like a subplane of the, the physical plane, right? It would be a substrate, so to say. A, a medium through which all things find their existence. Anyway, not to get too off track here, let's let's read on. Where did we leave off? Okay... Even when our imagination has fully grasped all that is comprehended in what has already been said, we do not yet understand half the complexity of the problem, for besides all these new forms of physical matter we have to deal with, the still more numerous and perplexing subdivisions of astral matter. We must note first that every material object, every particle even, has its astral counterpart, and this counterpart is itself not a simple body, but is un- Sorry is usually extremely complex, being composed of various kinds of astral matter. In addition to this, each living creature is surrounded with an atmosphere of its own, usually called its aura, and in the case of human beings, this aura forms of itself a very fascinating branch of study. It is seen as an oval mass of luminous mist of highly complex structure, and from its shape has sometimes been called the auric egg. Theosophical readers will hear with pleasure that even at the early stage of his development at which the pupil begins to acquire this fuller sight, he is able to assure himself by direct observation of the accuracy of the teaching given through our great founder, Madame Blavatsky, on the subject of some at least of the seven principles of man." In regarding his fellow man, he no longer sees only his outer appearance almost exactly coextensive with that physical body. He clearly distinguishes the etheric double. While the universal life fluid as it is absorbed and specialized as it circulates in rosy light throughout the body, as it eventually radiates from the healthy person in its altered form is also perfectly obvious. So I'm going to pause there, folks. So he's claiming that... Uh, once a an initiate has been so trained to be able to, you know, see these psychic visions or whatever, he'll be able to perceive this person through their etheric double, uh, which is kind of like a uh, a physical subplane, so to say, the the etheric. Uh, so he'll be able to see, uh, you know, what who they really are per se, rather than what their outward appearance would give. That's that's what what's being, uh, you know inferred here with, with this kind of thing. So, uh, anyway, it, it, the claim is they'll be able to see, you know, what their personality and intentions and stuff like that truly are underneath the, the physical outward appearance. So, that that's the claim here. And, you know, Blavatsky, well, I have some issues with Blavatsky. <laughs> so, and that's who founded this whole Theosophical Society, Madame Blavatsky. Uh, so... You know, that being the case, like I said, some of these things, they, they have some truths to them, but uh, there's a lot of poison mixed in, too, so you have to take it all with a grain of salt. Uh, anyway, let's read on, and then I think we're going to wrap up here very soon. Uh, most brilliant and most easily seen of all, perhaps, though, belonging to a more refined order of matter, the astral, Is that aura which expressed by its vivid and ever changing flashes of color the different desires which sweep across the man's mind from moment to moment? This is the true astral body. Behind that, and consisting of a finer grade of matter again, that of the form levels of the devacanic plane, that's the, the mental plane, folks, lies the mental body or aura of the lower mind, whose colors, changing only by slow degrees as the man lives his life, show the trend of his thoughts, and the disposition and character of his personality, while still higher and infinitely more beautiful, where at all clearly developed is the living light of the causal body, the vehicle of the higher self, which shows the stage of development of the real ego in its passage from birth to birth. But to see these, the pupil must, of course, have developed the vision of the levels to which they belong. And I'm going to pause there. Of course, they would have to develop this vision to these different levels to see these things. And only the very most highly adept masters can do so. So you kind of have to take their word for it don't you? You can see the troubles with a lot of these different ideas uh, to begin with here too, these different teachings, but anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, withhold judgment on these things it's not my place to judge, just my place to put this information out there for people to ponder upon and come to their own conclusions about so that's what I do, let's read on It will save the student much trouble if he learns at once to regard these auras not as mere emanations, but as the actual manifestation of the ego on their respective planes. If he understands that it is the auric egg, which is the real man, not the physical body, which on this plane crystallizes in the middle of it, so long as the reincarnating ego remains upon the plane, which is his true home in the formless levels, the vehicle which he inhabits is the causal body. But when he descends into the form levels, he must, in order to be able to function upon them, clothe himself in their matter. And the matter that he thus attracts to himself furnishes his devakanic or mind body. Similarly, descending into the astral plane, he forms his astral or desire body out of its matter, though, of course, still retaining all the other bodies and on his still further descent to this lowest plane of all, the physical body is formed in the midst of the auric egg, which thus contains the entire man. Fuller accounts of these auras will be found in transaction number 18 of the London Lodge, and in my book, Man Visible and Invisible But Enough has been said here to show that as they all occupy the same space, the finer interpenetrating the grosser, it needs careful study and much practice to enable the neophyte to distinguish clearly at a glance the one from the other. Nevertheless, the human aura, or more usually some one part of it only, is not infrequently one of the first purely astral objects seen by the untrained, though in such a case, its indications are naturally very likely to be misunderstood. I'm going to pause there. Yeah, you think? (laughs) Anyway... um. A lot of gibberdy jabber there, okay. but what he's talking about basically is uh, the fact that consciousness is not something that's purely bound to the physical. It's not the byproduct of the, the physical electrochemical activity of your brain stem, as our modern science would have you believe. Consciousness is a field, right? It exists throughout these multiple planes of existence, and your physical body here manifests in the center of it okay uh, and your 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 consciousness your field of consciousness extends beyond your body usually generally about 3 feet in any given direction and thus when they had a socially distancing by 6 feet there's a very real reason why they chose 6 feet because they don't want your consciousness field overlapping another person's because you know that could cause a problem uh, you know in uh, occult or metaphysical teachings as far as things like that go because this is where different energies get exchanged and you know ideas uh, could uh, trade places or 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 be passed around that way uh, this is called the the hundredth monkey effect in in many ways right where it, ideas get transferred uh, through the consciousness field even though they weren't you know, shared or vocalized in the physical world. And this is an established and measured thing that truly exists. And this is likely why uh, they tried to socially distance everybody. They don't want people to be exchanging ideas or, or being able to, uh, you know, having the people that could see through all the nonsense and lies, be able to affect those around them who can't. Uh, So that in my view is probably the reasoning for that but uh, you know like i said I, a lot of these things there's there's the, the the kernel of truth in there right with all these different teachings and uh, sometimes it's hard to discern especially when you have somebody you know doing this hubristic thing where they they talk themselves up only a true master can see this or you know only a student of the the highest noblest of 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 intentions can can develop this ability or this kind of thing or it's only through training and and this and that within uh, of course our secret group only our secret group could teach you to do this and you know what they dangle that carrot in front of people and people never are able to achieve these things it's always the promise of something more something better and they deceive you along the way so you know uh, you you got to be careful with this stuff, but there's always that kernel of truth that they put in there, and there are some metaphysical wisdoms and stuff that are born out in these things, and that's why it's important to read it and uh, be able to to pick out the meat and throw away the bones, so to say, and you know find the value in these writings because even though uh, the way these things are written sometimes are fully intended to deceive the. Uh, uninitiated, um, you could still garner value from it, uh, especially if you do have a little bit of insight as to what their thought processes are. So with that being said, that's why I like to cover this kind of stuff, but, uh, we're going to go a little bit further here and then wrap it up for the night. And, you know, if enough people are interested in this, uh, we may actually do some more. I I found this, I I read this whole book a couple years ago and found it really fascinating. So, Uh, I figured, you know, why not try to share this information with this audience because many of you have been following me for a while now and I have uh, broken down in some other series uh, that I've done some of these different ideas, like, you know, laying the foundations for this. Because a lot of this stuff you can't understand or come to understand overnight. It takes a lot of study and reading to understand, like, all the... The, the layers of the thought processes that go on in laying out this worldview that these people, these dark occultists that run this world, this worldview that they have. So that being the case, you know, it, it does take a bit, of, um, a bit of concentration and study and a bit of, uh, you know, directing yourself into that, that dedication to try to dig out the, the truth a little bit further and uh, see what it is, why they act in the ways they do this kind of thing. But let's read on. Though the astral aura from the brilliancy of its flashes of color may often be more conspicuous, the nerve ether and the etheric double are really of a much denser order of matter, being within the limits of the physical plane, though invisible to ordinary sight. If we examine with psychic faculty the body of a newly born child, we shall find it permeated not only by astral matter of every degree of density, but also by the several grades of etheric matter. And if we take the trouble to trace these inner bodies backwards to their origin, We find that it is of the latter that the etheric double, the mold upon which the physical body is built up, is formed by the agents of the lords of karma. While the astral matter has been gathered together by the descending ego, not of course consciously, but automatically, as he passes through the astral plane. And it says, see manual number 4, page 44. And I'm going to pause there for a minute. Manual four, page forty four, they love their master numbers page forty four that the number forty four, for those that don't know, encodes what's called death's doors. Uh, the idea of death's doors. So it's talking about death and rebirth here. Uh, and manual number four four is the number of that relates to time, the constraint of time. Uh, the number four doesn't uh, isn't really. Uh, What we would call a naturalistic type number. We could get into this at some other time. I don't want to get sidetracked with a lot of these ideas. But you see here, what they're claiming is, you know, if you take the time, you could see, you know, in a newborn baby, you could see the etheric double. And if you take the time to trace back uh, what this person's former life was, you could see that this etheric double is a duplicate of that. But it slowly dissolves. See? And I guess you just got to take their words for it because, <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, who could do this? <laughs> you know, who can do this? Who can determine who somebody's previous life was? Uh, once again, this all, all of these beliefs, they fall heavily upon the idea of reincarnation. OK, and that, that's been a thing throughout all time. A lot of people have believed in the concept of reincarnation because it lines up with natural processes. Uh, The cycles of of nature. See, we we go through seasons. We see the repetitive nature of how the natural world works. And uh, a lot of people have, you know, equated this to the idea with reincarnation. And, you know, maybe there's some merit to it. Maybe there's not. Uh, But uh, these people certainly believe that it's a thing. Eh, So, you know... That's what they say. Uh, But let's go ahead. We'll read probably the next paragraph or so here, and then we'll call it a night. Into the composition of the etheric double must enter something of all the different grades of etheric matter, but the proportions may vary greatly and are determined by several factors, such as the race, sub-race, and type of man, as well as by his individual karma. And I'm going to pause there. They always tie these occult belief systems back to race, folks. Whether you want to believe that or not, it's an undeniable fact. You go back in a lot of these occultic teachings, these old uh, mystery school teachings, and especially if you go down the lines of the teachings of, like, say, the Rosicrucians, you always invariably find this idea of race and sub-race and root races and all of these different ideas. And they claim that the different races of human beings in this world... Uh, have their origin points in these root races and that some are superior to others and you always hear this throughout all of this uh, you know occultic drivel uh, because there are people in positions of power in this world that think they are superior to you and I that they are a different species they are a greater race see and that they have the divine right to rule and that's what all of this uh, comes down to so You know, you always, always, always find something about races, sub-races, root races, all of that stuff in these occultic things. And if we all came from the same place, how could it be that there's these different races, see, or sub-races? We're all human beings, okay, but they, they always have to make some kind of subdivision beyond that to assert their dominance and that's what it's all about for many of these people it's all about acquiring power and dominance that's why they get involved with these occult teachings and these secret society groups it's all for power control and holding knowledge of something over somebody else see uh that's that's why they exist that's why these secret society groups exist folks let's read on When it is remembered that these four subdivisions of matter are made up of numerous combinations which, in their turn, form aggregations that enter into the composition of the atom, of the so-called element of the chemist, it will be seen that this second principle of man is highly complex and the number of its possible variations practically infinite, so that, however complicated and unusual a man's karma may be, "...those in whose province such work falls are able to give a mold in accordance with which a body exactly suiting it can be formed." But for information upon this vast subject of karma, the previous manual should be consulted. And I'm going to pause there, and you'll notice that uh, Mr. Leadbeater here is once again referencing one of these other training manuals, the, the previous one. So once again, he's pushing his own work, and many of these manuals back in the day were highly costly, Okay. Uh, the, the members of these Theosophical Society groups and different secret societies paid top dollar for these instruction manuals from these people, uh, and you know they were kept secret, and they had to um, sign agreements and make oaths to protect these manuals and not let them get fall into the wrong hands or the hands of the public, uh, so that they could be seen by people who were profane that didn't belong in the group. All of these secret groups have done things like this. That's why, uh, you know, for a long time, it was very difficult to find some of these books. But then, lo and behold, just a few years ago, everybody started digitizing everything. Everything got pulled off of library shelves and digitized. And that's how we're able to find stuff like this today. And don't get me wrong, there's still books that are near impossible to even find online anymore. Uh, So if you if you could get a hold of some of these older texts that are sitting around in some of these old Masonic libraries and whatnot, it's important to grab those (laughs) because they're not going to they're not going to last. They're not going to last because, uh, you know, what what happens is the invariable book burning, per se, uh, like we see. And now with the digital realm, how it is and everything being digitized, it's so much easier for them to. Uh, just get rid of whatever information they don't want out there circulating. So, goodbye, delete button. So much easier. That's why it's good to have a physical hard copy of something like this in the form of a book. That's why books are indispensable. Indispensable. Actual physical books are indispensable in this world. So much knowledge accumulated that uh, through the years has been manipulated, discarded, uh, destroyed, and misinterpreted. And rewritten, uh, we see that uh, you know we see the allegory of that written in 1984, don't we? Uh, so that's kind of what happens through the years with this stuff. But uh, you know, if you find some of these old books, hang on to them; they might be important someday. Anyway, let's let's read on. One other point deserves mention in connection with the appearance of physical matter when looked at from the astral plane, and that is that the higher vision, when fully developed, possesses the power of magnifying at will the minutest physical particle to any desired size, as though by a microscope. Though its magnifying power is enormously greater than that of any microscope ever made or ever likely to be made, (laughs) the hypothetical molecule and atom postulated by science are visible realities to the occult student, though the latter recognizes them as much more complex in their nature than the scientific man has yet discovered them to be here again is a vast field of study of absorbing interest to which a whole volume might readily be devoted, and a scientific investigator who should acquire this astral sight in perfection would not only find his experiments with ordinary and known phenomena immensely facilitated, but would also see stretching before him entirely new vistas of knowledge needing more than a lifetime for their thorough examination, and I'm gonna pause there folks, and that's why the cult of sci- of quantum Science came about quantum. This is why, because you see, things are much more than they seem. Okay, and uh, many of these people in positions of power and you know in in the high science uh, departments are occultists, highly accredited occultists, and they understand some of this stuff, and uh, that's why they come up with. Ideas like quantum theory, okay, describing the very small, okay, because they understand that uh, in if you have perfect astral sight, well, you could see the minutest of particles, the very smallest thing that there is, that goes way smaller than the atom, and, uh, you know, it exists within a different, uh, a different set of rules, right? That's why we have this disparity between quantum physics and uh, regular physics, and that's why they're always looking for some grand unified model. Well, all of these ideas, both spectrums of these uh, physics, the the general relativity physics and the the quantum physics and all the things that they want to try to unify, they all have their roots in occultism, folks, and I tell people this all the time. They all do. All these different uh, ideas and principles, it's all just uh, leveraging these different occult ideas in different ways uh, to basically at this point to deceive the human mind. Okay. It's an illusion. It's all the art of illusion. All right. So, you know, they may understand some different physical principles than we do with a lot of these things, but of course they're trying to lead our minds astray uh, in the understanding of how these things work. And that's, that's part of their, their power and control. If, if they understand how something operates and you don't, they could leverage it against you all the time. And you have no clue because you've you you know you, you've built your beliefs on how this works on faulty information. <laughs> and, and they got you. See, that, that's how all this works. But you could always pick out some of these little nuggets in many of these types of books if you could find them. That's where these are the sources of these ideas. This is the source of where the idea of quantum anything comes from. Okay? Uh, I always tell people it always ties back to the occult, all of it. And, you know, that's just the way it is when you go back and you you actually dig deep into these things. That's what you find. Um, Let's continue on, and then we'll go ahead and wrap it up for tonight. For example, one curious and very beautiful novelty brought to his notice by the development of this vision would be the existence of other and entirely different colors, beyond the limits of the ordinarily visible spectrum, the ultra-red and ultra-violet rays which science has discovered, by other means being plainly perceptible to astral sight. We must not, however, allow ourselves to follow these fascinating bypaths, but must resume our endeavor to give a general idea of the appearance of the astral plane it will by this time be obvious that though as above stated the ordinary objects of the physical world form the background to life on certain levels of the astral plane yet so much more is seen of their real appearance and characteristics that the general effect differs widely from that which with which we are familiar For the sake of illustration, take a rock as an example of the simpler class of objects. When regarded with trained sight, it is no more inert mass of stone. Or no mere inert mass of stone, sorry. First of all, The whole of the physical matter of the rock is seen instead of a very small part of it. Secondly, the vibrations of its physical particles are perceptible. Thirdly, it is seen to possess an astral counterpart composed of various grades of astral matter whose particles are also in constant motion. Fourthly, the universal life is seen to be circulating through it and radiating from it. Fifthly, an aura will be seen surrounding it, though this is, of course, much less extended and varied than is, than in the case of the higher kingdoms. Sixthly, its appropriate elemental essence is seen permeating it, ever active but ever fluctuating. In the case of the vegetable, animal, and human kingdoms, the complications are naturally much more numerous. It may be objected by some readers that... No such complexities as these are described by most of the psychics who occasionally get glimpses of the astral world, nor are they reported at seances by the entities that manifest there, but this is readily accounted for. Few untrained persons on that plane, whether living or dead, see things as they really are until after very long experience. Even those who do see fully are often too dazed and confused to understand or remember, and among the very small minority who both see and remember. There are hardly any who can translate the recollection into language on our lower plane. Many untrained psychics never examine their visions scientifically at all. They simply obtain an impression, which may be quite correct, but may also be half-false or even wholly misleading. And I'm going to pause there. Much like what this guy's saying right now, okay? They, they, they're they claiming that they have a, a good synopsis of what the astral plane looks like, but yet they claim that, uh, see how it's contradictory, but yet he claims here that there's so very few, but of course, he's one of the few that could actually do this, because he's, you know, this adept master, right? (laughs) So, of course, he can do this, but, uh, you know, you probably can't, no matter how much you would train yourself or, or try to, uh, or, you know, but we'll teach you, and we'll still collect your money from you, and, your your you know your membership dues and stuff like that. And we'll still string you along and, and try to teach you how to do these things. We could do it, but you can't because we're the Adept Masters and you just aren't good enough. You see how this all works? Uh, but anyway, I, I, I don't want to uh, discredit what's being said here because I can't. I don't know for sure. I don't think they know for sure. I think there are some uh, things here that are probably some... Uh, good points or good information mixed in with all of this, but uh, at the end of the day, it's not verifiable in any way, is it? So uh, I think we're going to just wrap it up there. But uh, you, you get the point, okay? Uh, you have these different groups, the Theosophical Society, the various secret societies. They have at the higher levels of initiation in the Orders. They, they teach these different occult practices. And these occult beliefs. And they tell you, oh, if you follow these training protocols we give you and you stick to uh, what we say and do exactly what we tell you, then you too will have these gifts, this ability, this second sight, so to say. The ability to see through these planes and perceive these different things. And although maybe some of the foundational ideas might be you know, somewhat correct, Uh, With the idea of these other, the existence of these other planes. I think largely uh, what uh, these groups, especially those within the Theosophical Society, what they do is they deceive people and they do it for their own purposes of uh, maintaining power and control. And that kind of thing, and just have this feeling of superiority, like as if they're this enlightened, you know, master who's doing such good, wonderful things for this world. And, you know, this kind of thing, by keeping secrets from people and deceiving them. And that's what they do. I mean, think about that for a second. By deceiving and misleading people and taking advantage of people, you're doing the great work. And that's what a lot of these secret society groups teach, okay? So it's contradictory. It's counterintuitive. And uh, that's a lot of the problem. So although um, many of the foundational ideas may be good or have truths to them, uh, what they do with this information is what's despicable. And this is uh, exactly what has transpired through the years. Uh, So, you know, many of the alchemists of old who had good intentions would not approve of the things that have been done with this information through the years and the people in control right now. Uh, because it's largely these dark occultists that run things, and they use some of these principles and ideas and this information to manipulate others to firm affirm their own power dynamic in this place. Okay, And they want to become God. That's what their goal is. They want to become God in no uncertain terms And they primarily are doing this today uh, through the philosophy that's called transhumanism. And it's all translated back from all these old occult teachings. What's old is new again, right? And uh, there's nothing new under the sun is what the the wisdom teaching does say about this. So transhumanism, that's the new occultism. It's it's, it's the, the great work. According to these people, these dark occultists that run things, that's what they're looking for. That's what they're trying to design our society into, trying to socially engineer us towards that goal. And they use a lot of these different occultic ideas and archetypes to do so, Okay, because they understand portions of information that they've kept hidden from the public or they've entrained the public to uh, perceive as nonsensical and that's the bottom line so anyway that gives us a little glimpse into other worlds into the astral plane or you know what's described to us by the theosophists as the astral plane and uh, like i said i find a lot of value in these things because there are some underlying foundational truths in the things that are taught but at the same token the real problem is the the way in which they've skewed things. They've they've added that little bit of poison to many of these teachings. And that's the giant turd in the punch bowl, folks. Uh, so uh, when it, it comes down to it, uh, you know, uh, many of these things will not benefit you unless uh, you're part of their big club. Uh, but that being the case, it's important that we understand these ideas so that we know what they're throwing at us when they do these things, right? We know what their belief system is. We know why they do the things they do. And we know a little bit about maybe some of these little tidbits of information that they know about, these energies in this natural world that they know about, that they leverage against us. We could know a little bit more about that and maybe prevent ourselves from falling victims to their ploys. So that's why it's important to go through this stuff. Anyway, I thank you for uh, listening and we'll catch you next time. Have a good night.
1: Come with me.